This is Inside the FLX from FingerLakes1.com. I'm Ted Baker, and I'm joined by the supervisor for the town of Lodi, Kyle Barnhart. Kyle, welcome. Thanks, Ted. How you doing? Good. It's good to have you here. We met at the board meeting in January, and that meeting sort of encapsulated everything that's been going on in the town in the last several years. So let's start with the town hall. Take us through the effort to build the town hall, the increase in building material costs and then what that meant and how that led to the long discussion at the meeting in January. Yeah, I'm glad you got to make it. Uh, A number of items sort of came to a head um, at that meeting. But yeah, the town hall effort um, in Lodi, we've been trying to build a town hall for, I think, 12 or 13 years now. Um, It's gone through a number of stages. We've gotten a number of um, finished drawings over the years. But when I took office a couple of years ago, we made it the top priority. sort of shifted our focus. We bought an existing building, um, an old Presbyterian church, but just a, a, a stick built building. Um, and so we've been trying to develop that site. And then of course, uh, a couple months into my term, um, COVID hits, um, building costs change, the supply, cha- uh, supply chain changes. Um, and here we are with a project that we thought was gonna come in at about $750,000, $800,000 now seeing, you know, um, well over that uh, 150% of the cost up to 200% of the cost. So as a town board, um, we're trying to navigate that and um, keep the costs low for our taxpayers and make sure that we're building a, a reasonably sized building, but um, it's an incredibly tough climate. So, you know, we've been sort of hashing it out to figure out how to move forward um, because we need to, because our old town hall is is no longer um, usable and safe. And so we really need to to see some progress here. So you said at the meeting, and some members of the public said as well, that why don't we just put it out to bid and find out? So what was the objection on the part of some of the folks about just putting it out to bid and finding out what the number would be? Yeah, so as we entered our bid process, the architect that we had hired had informed us that he uh, had seen some of his more recent projects coming back at 92% over budget. Um, so again, we had been shooting for a $750,000 project. And so uh, a couple of board members applied that 92% increase um, to the cost and said, okay, well, here's a, a $1.35 million project now, which is you know not even on the table, not debatable. Um, let's just drop it and move on. And you know I think the majority of the board, as you saw that night said, well, let's at least get a solid number. We're only working off of assumptions right now. Let's get a solid number, a real bid, and then try to, to see what kind of gap funding we need to, to make that work or to go back to the drawing board or shave some, some square footage off or whatever it needs to be. I can't tell you why they weren't, uh, why a couple of the members of the board were not willing to even put it out to bid, um, but I thought that we needed some hard numbers to make a real decision as opposed to an assumption. Have any bids come in yet or do those have to be officially opened at a meeting? Yep. So since we put everything on hold, um, once uh, we had heard that the, the building costs had, had skyrocketed, um, we finally, after this last meeting, re-engaged with the architect and started the bid process. So we are expecting a month-long bid process to begin in March, and hopefully we'll be able to open the bids as a board in April. So I think we'll have some hard answers for our meeting in April. One of the concerns about the new building is the fate of the Food for All Pantry. They're currently in the church building that you've purchased to renovate in a new town hall, but there's some concerns whether they can be part of a building that you can afford to build. So what can you say about the status of the food pantry and what might happen to them? Yeah, this is, you know, this is sort of uh, one of the sources of the argument uh, trying to value the food pantry or assign a value to the food pantry. Um, Before I took office, the plans for the new town hall were to build on a vacant piece of land, to build a 4,000 square foot facility on a vacant piece of land that would have cost 
somewhere between 1.2 and 1.8 million. Um, what I did once I got in office was I engaged with uh, folks who had buildings that were not being used uh, to the fullest extent. And we identified the Presbyterian church as one of those buildings. So when they sold us the Presbyterian church, they gave it to us at a decent discount uh, under the, the concept that we would continue the operations of the food pantry. Um, and I think if you look around upstate New York, you can see plenty of municipalities that have um, you know, joint services within a municipal building. This is not unusual whatsoever. Um, however, you know, I think there's a contingent of the community that says, hey, we're, we're local government. We're not in the business of helping out nonprofits or uh, private businesses or whatnot. All we have to do is govern um, our little slice of, of government. Um, but, you know, I disagree with that. Uh, I think we saw for the past two years that food pantries are more valuable than ever. Uh, the pandemic has certainly uh, threatened our food security. And, and frankly, in Lodi, we don't have a supermarket. We don't have uh, a lot of roadside farm stands. We don't have a convenience store. So when you have um, an outfit like the food pantry that um, gives away uh, fresh local produce and healthy food for free, regardless of income. That's about the most valuable organization that we have in our town. So um, to me, the way that I see it, I think uh, by uh, putting the food pantry into the building, uh, honoring our agreement with the Presbyterian Church, not only did we save hundreds of thousands of dollars, but we're ensuring a, a very, very important community resource for decades going forward. Um, the other good news is that with the ARPA funds and the CARES Act funds, um, I believe that there is a lot of grant funding out there for us to complete this project. Um, uh, it, it appears to me that the CARES Act funds will fund um, the food pantry um, part of the project. And so I think that we can do this without hurting the taxpayers and without taking on any additional debt. Let's talk about your overall vision for the town. I think the quote you said at the meeting was, I want it all. I mean, everybody thinks all the small <laughs> towns are just dying, but you don't want to accept that and you see greatness in the future for Lodi. How do you get there? Yeah, I think Lodi is unique. Um, you know, I see a lot of rural villages in particular, but villages and towns that um, have just sort of receded and are doing the bare minimum. And, and more and more, I'm getting emails and phone calls of people saying, what can you do? We need more. Um, so, you know, since I've come into office, this is my third year in office now. Um, I've pursued a public water project that has been shot down. I've pursued Main Street revitalization that's been shot down. And now I'm pursuing uh, a town hall that includes a valuable nonprofit that's seemingly uh, being shot down. So, you know, I was a little shocked at the meeting because I got a little uh, brushback from the community saying, uh, you're being a little partisan. You're being, uh, you're saying Democrat, Republican. And and my response to that was, I know you're seeing it that way, but this is really about a vision, uh, a vision where local government helps and encourages businesses to grow, encourages people to move here, or the vision that's been in place for the past 20 or 30 years, which is let's do nothing and whatever happens, happens. And unfortunately, we've seen the decline of the village of Lodi, uh, which used to have 20 or 30 businesses on a two block um, radius there on Main Street, which now has none or one or two. Um, and so I just think it's really time that we take an active, creative approach uh, to what local government can do to make Lodi better. And I think we're unique because, it, you know, in the south end of the county, most folks just think it's agriculture and not much going on. But we have this really thriving agritourism business in the wineries. And so we can uh, not only do we have a great tax base and no debt as a town, um, but we just have not offered anything in terms of whether it be tax incentives or revitalization or just any focus whatsoever um, on bringing people back, making sure people stay in Lodi so that they can work at these local businesses. 
Uh, you know, we need housing desperately. Uh, we need staff and employees desperately. There's so much to do. And uh, I just can't sit around and have a, a town board do nothing. That, that's not an approach I'm willing to take. You mentioned the politics. Our politics are very divisive these days at almost every level. In your case, you have Mr. Sibley and Mr. Latini, who are obviously two fiscal conservatives. But what I saw at the meeting was a real effort to try to understand each other's points of view and try to not keep things personal. Do you feel like you're beginning to understand some of the points they make and they're beginning to understand some of yours? I totally get their points. Uh, I won't claim to be uh, a fiscal conservative, but I certainly want to run a balanced budget and don't want to take on debt for, for residents. I live here too. You know, I, I don't make a lot of money. I'm just an average person. Um, so I certainly understand their points. I don't think any of this is personal. Uh, I think Luke's a very intelligent guy. I think Trevor is rooted in the community uh, or Mr. Latini and Mr. Sibley. Um, I think it's just a different difference of vision. And, you know, this was the first time that we've really, I know it seemed like an argument, we weren't yelling or anything, but we really talked about the issues and, and got into the details. Um, but there needs to be a little uh, willingness to move. And I've, I have felt very, uh, like I've offered a very inclusive approach that has brought everybody in. And unfortunately, I haven't seen progress. So now I'm taking a little bit firmer of an approach to say, you know, something's got to give, something's got to change. And I'm just not seeing a lot of movement from that side of the board. Um, you know, on the other hand, uh, we have our, our newly elected board member, Chance Van Cleef, who I thought brought a lot of logic uh, to the conversation and said, you know, I think it makes sense to put this project out to bid. So um, maybe there's a little movement there. Maybe Chance is sort of bringing us together and trying to unite the, the two factions, if you will. Um, but, you know, I'd like to see a little bit uh, of creativity. Like when we went out for the water project, um, it was such a contentious item in the community, um, but it seems like a certain aspect of our board was not willing to, to consider spending even $1 on a project like that. And I said, well, just let me, let me go out for the grants just to see what the actual cost of this is. And we, you know, they wouldn't even let us go out for the grants. So uh, unless we see a little bit of movement for progress, I, you know, I'm not really sure how it's going to go. Another thing that came to the fore in that meeting is the lingering resentment between the southern towns in Seneca County and the north. In the north, they have the landfill, they have the casino, they have these sources of revenue that you don't in the south. What, what do you see as a member of the county board in terms of that north-south divide? Yeah, it's been difficult. Um, I, at first, I thought when I came onto the board, I thought it was just this uh, long-standing, ingrained north-south uh, contentious uh, issue. But what I, I think I want to say is that I don't think the north end supervisors truly understand how difficult it is to govern and legislate in the south end. Those revenue drivers that they have in the landfill and the casino, uh, and even the county sales tax, which um, is spent completely at the county level, but mostly on northern end issues, um, I don't think they understand how tight it is down here and how unwilling folks are to um, take on debt for the town and, and spend any money. So that's why at the county level, I've been pushing for sales tax sharing, which frankly, um, I don't see happening. We're one of very few counties in the state that do not share sales tax with local towns and, and municipalities. So, you know, that hurts us. Um, I get so many complaints about roads. We can't hire more road crew. We just don't have the money. Um, if big issues come up, like our stream flooding down at the lake, um, we don't have the money to address it. And if we were receiving tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in sales tax revenues, as the counties around us do, um, I know Lodi could certainly react and could certainly improve. So um, there is a north and south divide in terms of resources, 
Um, but I think it's just a lack of understanding um, from the north end of what we truly need down there. And so little by little, I've been trying to um, sort of move resources from the county budget to sort of cover some of the town stuff. And little by little, I'm having a little success with this. Like um, we just got all of the watershed funding for Seneca Lake Watershed Organization and for the uh, Cuga Lake Watershed Organization fully paid for by the county. So we have full buy-in for the watershed organization starting this year, and it saves the towns and the villages just a little bit of money, which, which helps. Every dollar helps. You mentioned the recovery from the 2018 flooding. That was another point that came out in the meeting is the difficulty of dealing with the state where a property owner has to make changes, but the DEC has to approve, but somebody else has to talk to somebody else. And it was just a, a lot of frustration on cutting through that red tape and, and these property owners saying, you know, tell us what we have to do. Tell us where we have to dig and how deep and how much and we'll do it. But nobody can give us the answers. Yeah, uh, you're talking about multi multiple layers of, of permitting and red tape. You're talking about uh, town, county, state, and even federal when it comes to the Army Corps of Engineers. Um, we saw a flood in 2018 from eight or nine inches of rain overnight, and now we are seeing homeowners flooded out with one or two inches of rain for just very mild, I wouldn't even call them storms, very mild rain events. Um, we can't make the changes to the streams um, because we can't get the permits to do so from the DEC because they are trout streams and whatnot. And then we have some upstream issues. You know, 2018 really changed the landscape of our streams and our land. Um, and we have not been able to either change them back or, or adjust to be able to improve them. So, um, you know, I know we're looking at uh, Mill Creek and Blackwell Creek, which have two different sets of issues. Um, Blackwell Creek being culvert issues mostly, uh, and then Mill Creek having some erosion and upstream issues. And we're talking about multi-million dollar um, um, repair jobs, plus the engineering to do the hydrology and whatnot. So um, we're sort of looking at this, shaking our heads, saying, how is a small town expected to, to adjust to a global climate change, do millions of dollars of uh, erosion and stream restoration when um, we get no help from the county? I mean, we get no financial help from the county no financial help from the state and very little help in, in terms of permitting and, and, and planning. You know, I, I don't know how they expect a town of 1500 people to do a complete hydrology study and reworking of a stream um, for miles with, with, without the resources that should certainly be in the state's hands. The good news is, I mean, the community is really behind making steps forward. I mean, where else other than a small town, do you have a town councilor say, Oh, you know, I'll bring my backhoe and I'll dig the foundation for the new town hall. I mean, there's, you you have that going for you. There's a real willingness there. There's people that understand the problems that you face as a town and really want to move forward to do something about it. Yeah, the help is great. And, and that's sort of where we dive into the details to, to shave some costs off of this project. And we've seen that we're just uh, we're just beholden to that sort of global supply chain that's driving these costs up. So uh, we like to say we're threading a needle there, but um, yeah, uh, my my town board's been impressive in the amount that they're willing to help, and that, I'm really thankful for that. Well, I hope you get some good numbers in terms of the town hall and and best of success moving forward. We'll stay in touch. Kyle Barnhart, the Lodi Town Supervisor, our guest on Inside the FLX. We appreciate the time. Thank you, Ted. Appreciate it.